Welcome to Imperfect Allies. My name is Chris. My name is Richie. And we're here to talk to each other about what it's like to be white and what it's like to be black in America. Our goal is to have a candid conversation about race and how it impacts and intersects our daily life, as well as our country. The episodes offered here are based around real, candid conversations that Richie and I have, and they're available if you support the show. From those conversations, we take a deep dive into topics that we discover to better empathize and understand ourselves and our American culture. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Allies Imperfect. Well, let's start the show. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good to be here. And we're just imperfect allies trying to figure figure life out, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Talking about what it's like being white, what it's like being black. It's crazy uh, that, are, like, are they different? Uh, that's what we don't even know yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, there are some differences, but uh, I think uh, we can dismantle the construct. I don't know in my lifetime, our lifetimes, but. Hopefully, eventually. Oh, we'll get there. So uh, you were talking about some some interesting topics. I know you have been actively reaching out to more and more people and having discussions, which I think is exactly what we need to be doing in this time. Um, what what are some concepts and discussions you've had this week? Well, um, that's a good. Yeah. So I posted uh, a picture of uh, Black Jesus along with uh, Black Moses, uh, Elijah. It was just a it was a photography shoot. Uh, of all of these uh, biblical figures, and they were from, you know, different light, dark skinned uh, yeah. African Americans or Africans. I'm not, I wouldn't, but uh, I, it is, I mean, two people called me a racist on that post. Wow. For posting. Um, for posting it. Yeah. And one guy said, um, uh, I find white Jesus disgusting. Um, and I'm, and the implication was, well, that means that black Jesus is disgusting. Um, <laughs> uh, it was interesting to see because, um, when I got the sort of long winded, vehement responses, I knew that I was touching on something Yeah, Be- because in my life, the things that have been the most upsetting mm-hmm. oftentimes are the things that I need to confront. Yeah. It hits and you hard. Hit, yeah. It hits you hard. And so that first reaction of i'm not going to be vulnerable i'm going to be angry Mm. and you know and i know all the people relatively well um and i think that they're genuinely like regular kind people uh this hit a button with each of them in different ways and i don't know man i don't know what there's something there with the religious piece of this that's the that's the truth but i don't know if people are willing to to go that deep i mean it takes so much um, education to to find the connections between religion and race and that that attacks people there that's uncomfortable for sure yeah yeah but it I, but definitely I'm, does do do you think we have a culture of allowing people to be vulnerable like as americans are we because i see the defensiveness and i don't know if that's uh, unique to america or not but we just we don't allow each other to be vulnerable yeah, I think I I think I agree, and I think I agree for different reasons. Um, you know, I think, and tell me what you think about it. But um, you know, I, I guess speaking speaking as a as a white man, um, you know, weakness is uh, vulnerability is considered weakness. I think in a lot of ways, uh, at least it has been for a long time. I think I think at the turn of the century. Um, things started changing and we're, and we're changing really, but to, you know, um, what it's like to be masculine, for instance, or what that looks like, you know, can, uh, can a gay man be masculine? Can a trans gay, you know, man be masculine? Yeah. There's a show called these thems that, uh, is put on by a whole bunch of different folks and it's really, it's really fantastic. And it points out a lot of the things that they, they deal with, with like, um, cisgen straight people, as well as like stuff inside their, the uh, LGBTQI plus community. Yeah. And um, there's a trans man in the show 
and uh, a gay man uh, met him and was like sort of falling for him and then found out he was trans and was like really conflicted by that. Right. Mm. Um, and anyway, so I don't want to spoil it, but at one point in the show, um, he says to the trans man, you're man enough for me. And that really hit me in a lot. I mean, you know, I've been so emotional, like talking about vulnerability, this whole, <laughs> I feel like I'm opened up man, in a, in a lot of ways, but, um, that, that, that really hit me in a way that was like, yeah, that's, um, we're not, for some reason I have this idea I'm going to stop saying, I think that I was raised to dot, 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 mm-hmm. because I think it has connotations, but I, I'll, I will say this, uh, as these conversations move and grow, uh, I have had this idea that vulnerability is weakness. Right. And as much as, you know, being a white man in America can be dog eat dog, I would imagine in black communities, it's, it feels almost worse because, because from what I'm hearing, there's almost there's a lot of times a survival mode anyway. Yeah. And to show vulnerability in survival mode, well, that'll just get you killed, yeah. you know, or whatever. I don't know. What do you, I mean, how does. No, I think, um, I, I think it is a combination of the generational changes and the times that we're in where we are seeing the strength and vulnerability, but it was definitely not, uh, it was not the, the upbringing that I had either. Um, you know, I've always been comfortable and open with being vulnerable in a way, but I learned this at a really young age. So this story, uh, I think it's kind of funny, but it ties him very well. I was probably, you know, six years old at the daycare and me and another uh, student who ends up becoming my best friend for life. Um, we were bullied by an older, older kid. We were all black. And Basically, the oldest kid made us fight each other every day for his entertainment. And the only way to not fight was to fight him. It was like, you can fight each other or you can fight me. And I'm, you know, three years older than you. So, you know, take your pick. So this was a everyday thing for um, many months. And then I realized, I was like, man, I can't, I don't want to keep doing this. So I went to not my mom, but my mom's uh, best friend, who was like my godmother, which is a thing in black cultures. Uh, best friends become co-parenting in a way. And so my godmother sat me down and she was like, look, walk up to him and say that you don't want to fight just straight to his face. And I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, no, I can't do that. He'll call me a chicken. And, and of course, at that age, like that's like the worst thing in the world. And um, she said, once he says, once he calls you a chicken, say, so what? And walk off. And it was like admitting you're scared to fight and you don't want to do this and saying, so what? And just walking away. I, I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world, but I did it and it worked. And the empowerment and strength that I felt <laughs> from being able to walk away from that by admitting I, I'm scared to fight every day. I like, I don't want to do this. It was the coolest thing ever. And so I've, I've kind of grown up knowing the strength of vulnerability in a lot of ways from that, that young experience. But, but I got lucky that I had someone to even coach me through it. Like otherwise, you know, the best thing to do in my mind would have been to just keep winning as many fights as possible. So I'm with you. Yeah. That's, that's really, um, that's really interesting, man. I'm glad that I'm glad that she was there. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So thankful because it, it does, it did shape kind of the way I walk, through the world a lot. Um, and you know, my mom was, was a single mother. Uh, my dad was in my life, but they were divorced. And so, you know, I grew up with this, uh, different perception of, you know, strong females and, um, not really expecting as much from, from male counter figures and things like that. And so my idea of strength might be a little bit different from, um, our social norms in a lot of ways, but, being vulnerable between one man and another man, we don't, we don't allow that in so many different ways. And so I I think, yeah, these and thems that, that, that is a powerful play right there of having a trans man be called masculine enough for a uh, gay man. That's just, that's very powerful. I think, I think that's the world we're kind of heading towards, which is uncomfortable from a traditional standpoint. But it, but it really is powerful to to say that anyone can be masculine. I mean, that's that's amazing. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I think the, the sort of redefinition of, uh, of that or the, the, at least the, uh, reanalysis of what, what it looks like to be masculine, Mm -hmm. because I've never felt more masculine, more like a man, like being next to my wife as she's giving birth or taking all four of my kids, got one strapped on my chest, one strapped on my back, pushing a cart through the grocery store, getting (laughs) stuff done. Yeah. (laughs) Going to Target, you know, when Target, yeah, I mean, I'm just telling you, like, it's not, and it wasn't that I was doing some domestic chore, is that I was doing a tough thing, um, you know, and um, because, I mean, taking one kid to the store is tough. Taking four kids to the store, that's a man business right there. Wow. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is the tongue in cheek, you know, but, uh, yeah. but, you know, and then, you know, being there, being a support for my, my wife, um, uh, when she gave birth to all four of them, those kind of things. But I also feel like it, when I fixed something, I took apart our dryer completely and reassembled it. And I was like, yeah, all right, I fixed yeah. something. Yeah. Okay. You know, so, and not to say that that's not feminine because my wife put together the, the, uh, two sinks in our previous home. So, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. not, but I just felt like, so maybe, I don't know. It's still, you know, I think it's still being reexamined and and what that looks like. I I tend to be drawn toward men um, that are not afraid of their emotions, that are not afraid to say, like you said, in that fight, I'm not a fight. Um, Not afraid to admit that they're scared or afraid and still do the thing they need to do. Right. Right. Because my son who's six, he's even struggling with this now. He's like, I'm scared. I'm like, that's perfectly fine. Being scared is human. Yeah. There's no way to get around it. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's doing what we, you know, we know, I mean, hopefully we, a lot of us have been taught this, that bravery is being afraid and doing what you need to do. Go ahead and get in front of that. You know, you needed not to fight. And so you were scared, but you said, I'm not going to (laughs) fight. Confronting that, you know, bully uh, in that, in that way, um, which sort of leads me to something that's been on my mind um, specifically with, uh, and this is anything I wrote to you earlier. So, sorry. Yeah. No, it's, it's on the <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, the idea of confrontation. Mm-hmm. So I know that I am definitely a part of this, um, demographic that in the historically has called the police versus going and talking face to face. Um, and it, not knowing that I was putting people in danger. Right. Thinking, thinking I was doing what needed to be done because the police handle that kind of conflict. Uh, yeah. And I don't think that there's, I don't think that I have been prepared to handle conflict in a way that is, um, one that I feel comfortable with and two that like, has any, have any kind of influence on the outcome. It always feels like when somebody's screaming or yelling or just doing some stupid stuff that that needs to stop. I always feel like I'm over it doing it or underdoing it. Um, and I don't know a lot of white folks that do it well. Yeah. That, that actually makes so much more. Now that I'm prescribing that to situations I've been in, it makes a lot more sense. Um, a lack of conflict resolution would result in calling the authorities or being in fear in situations that aren't actually scary. Well, or at least not from my perspective, because I've seen a lot of conflict resolution. Um, I'll share this story. I was with my cousin who he's about six years older than me, but we share a lot of personality and career decisions. And so we're very similar. Um, But we we were raised uh, in different cities. So we just kind of had a different upbringing and we were both in the music industry. And so I was out with him. Uh, There were some celebrities there. It was at a club and he was working basically uh, he's in in uh, management talent management management and so after the the club we're just hanging out by the car and this dude comes up to him it's a black dude um i would assume this is a situation that any white person might call the police in because he comes up yelling hot uh calling my cousin all kinds of names trying to disrespect him telling him that he might owe him money or some something like that so this looks like a uh you know potential bad situation and maybe someone's going to die or get shot or who knows what's going to happen. And so with me, with the lack of experience with this person, you know, I don't know who he is. My initial feelings are, Oh shit. Like (laughs) I'm nervous. What is about to happen? 
but I trust my cousin. I know my cousin very well. Next thing I know, my cousin is having a conversation with this guy and just says, yo, man, you smoke? You need a cigarette? He pulls out the cigarette. The guy, he lights it for him. After that, the guy calms down. They have a conversation and then it's over. And it's, it's like the most powerful move I've ever seen in my life. And the conflict just disappeared. And it was because my cousin was in control. You know, he wasn't about to let anything bad happen, especially with his cousin there. And he has been in those situations before where he knows if someone's hot, it doesn't mean it's going to explode. You can actually resolve these things by having conversations. But wow. but black people are used to that. They They know that you know, someone might be hot and yelling and screaming, but it doesn't mean the world's about to end. And I don't think that white people have that experience to to trust in it going anywhere positive. And so, um, yeah, that that's that's a reality of black people. And I think we're also louder and uh, more um, what, quote unquote, would be disrespectful from the white American viewpoint. Because we we are loud like that, like we do scream and holler. And that's kind of our mode of conversation because it's culturally acceptable. And it doesn't mean like a bad thing's actually happening. I, I'm a loud person. My wife always gets mad at me when we're in a restaurant and I'm just laughing so loud the whole place. Can hear. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that, that's not for all black people, obviously, but 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 culturally, right. there are uh, a lot of us that are loud. So we'll be more comfortable in those settings, whereas. I, I totally get you. Conflict resolution from a white perspective is called the police. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's, and it's taught, I mean, it's taught to you, you, you know, that, that, that their police are there to help you. That's, that's what I was told in school and, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting to be confronted about that stuff because that is a, that's a real reality shaker mm-hmm. that, um, Calling the cops uh, specifically on a black man uh, is is yeah the potential for that um, is disproportionately not just being killed but being arrested and jailed and jailed for longer than a white person would be jailed like yeah. that's that's what the data shows us you know and uh, you know I don't want anybody to go jail once you turn off your goddamn stereo at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> right yeah. You know, stop screaming in front of my lawn. <laughs> yeah. And, but I don't know how, and I don't, I mean, I, I know that that's a, that is definitely, you know, a, a skill, um, that I lack, you know, like I, I, uh, I need to learn how to, how to confront that. Like there's a great, uh, did you watch the Pete Holmes HBO series? Uh, I mean, I've seen it. I, so, yeah. my memory is horrible. <laughs> there's a, that's all right. There's a, there's a, he's walking along with this guy that's sort of like this love and peace dude. And they come up across a guy that's selling, selling his new, uh, or selling a, he's like a street, uh, uh, what you call it? Like street team for a, for a, a rapper. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he's being like high pressure sales. Like, Hey man, you want to get the CD? You want to get the CD? You know, going after him like that. And the guy, like he's getting kind of, it, it is getting, if you watch it, you, I would be interesting to watch that scene and, and get your take on it. Cause to me, I'm like, Oh, this is getting escalated. Yeah. And both of the, you could tell Pete in the show, Pete and this guy were both like, or Pete at least was like, Oh no, something's happening. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, his friend were his, who was walking with was like, Hey man, is that your CD? He goes, no, nah, man, it's my, it's my boys or whatever. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to buy that. I'm going to, I want to buy your CD. He's like, well, I'm out here selling this. He's like, but, but, but is it your art? Because I want to see, I want to hear your art. Yeah. Like touch this guy's heart. (laughs) Yeah. It was over, right? (laughs) And so there's like this, there is this empathy, just like your, your cousin. Yeah. Hey man, you need a cigarette. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Give me, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. So there's, there's something there. uh, And it's, I need to, I feel like I need to take a class or like just practice that. Cause, cause the conflict that's been happening over the last several weeks I have tried really hard to not be an ass to people at the same time. Like if you're saying just ignorant stuff, I, I have been calling people out and yeah. I don't know if that's helpful or harmful. I've been reading, reading a lot of stuff and, and some people are saying it helps some people are saying it doesn't. So trying to navigate that, um, you know, and especially in social media, it becomes like I've, I've watched or read some of the conversations that you've had. And it seems like that you've had relatively constructive ones. And I, you know, on, on your on your page and stuff, um, 
Yeah, there's some that get out of control, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, um, but that's I, that's. Go ahead. Well, I think I think you touched on something perfectly. Is conflict resolution shows up online, shows up in person, and the 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 number one way to solve is empathy, and it works in mm. real life situations, and it works online as well. Um, and my most of my arguments that get really bad is when um, I have said something clearly to connect empathetically and it gets ran railroaded um, because they know my race. So they already assume they know all my positions. And, yeah. uh, and so that's when I get the most frustrated because I've, I've extended the olive branch um, because I've spent a lot of time understanding why would someone want to be a conservative if they, if they are admitting the truth they have some, you know, connection of the heart to it. And I need to first understand that connection to really have any any growth there. Same with the individualism. It's it's they are a person on their own and that's what they care about. But when you look at white and black interactions, um, I can totally see the the difficulty of the empathy if someone is loud blaring their music because obviously they don't care about you and um, they are worried about themselves. And it could be like, hey, what song is that? Oh, man, that's a good song. I mean, it's it is like 10 p.m. I got four kids. Uh, I would totally appreciate it if you could turn it down, but it's a great song. I might look it up or something like that. just a, a little move like that. Could, it just reduces tension um, in so many different situations. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. That's real good. That's real good because it's uh, it's one of those things where you kind of come at it from the side, you know, Yeah, you know, uh, make it about something else and, and then come and readdress, you know, it's that don't, don't, don't come at force with force, you know, right. In, in boxing, you know, uh, they teach you how to slip, right. You just slip through punches. You don't, you don't take them on and then hit back. Exactly. I mean, some, some boxers do, and they're <laughs> they're crazy. Least that way. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but most boxers, they're going to slip through those punches or as best they can. Yeah. And come and come in another way. Uh, which I guess that's a pretty violent uh, analogy. That's not, <laughs> I'm not trying to hit anybody, but uh, but that's how it yeah. feels. Yes, it does. It does. It is. It feels because I did uh, I did um, martial arts for years and and did some of the um, some cage fighting, not nothing professional. Just did some training and that stuff, and um, it it feels the same. You know, your shoulders go up, your heart rate increases, you start covering up your your either your chest or your stomach with your arms, and you're already in you know, that mode. And it's hard to even get your body to be like, okay, get my shoulders down. Like yeah. let's composure, you know, that's another thing I teach, but <laughs> it's composure. You know? mm -hmm. It's real hard. Uh, so I, I, I know I, I need to practice. I just, I, I wish, I mean, the, the cultural differences are so rampant that it's so hard to even think uh, of all the implications. But when you said earlier that if there's a situation, your first thought is call the police. That's so, so different um, from my point of view and the experience I've had with my fellow Black Americans is go talk to the person, like uh, solve the situation. Um, and and I guess maybe in white culture, just go to the authorities, whoever that may be. And so you hear in Black culture, we get so mad. Let's say I have a coworker. And my boss addresses me on an issue for, that my coworker has. That's the utmost disrespect to me. But that happened. Mm -hmm. And it's because to us, you would just come talk to me and tell me what issues we have um, so that I can first understand it if I, you know, am doing that on purpose or doing that by accident. You know, like there's so many different things. But um, wow, I. I could not imagine going to the authorities or whoever the authority is, not just the police on majority of situations is so unique to me. And I, but but if you have years of reinforcement on going to the authorities, that that's that's going to be hard to 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 break the natural train of thought. But once you're aware you're thinking that way, that's a that's a step in the right direction. Just like, oh, I want to go to the authorities right now because that's what I've been trained to do or that's what I know to do. But there are other options. Yeah. Yeah, there are. There are. And I mean, I've been reading, I've been trying to get a hold of this for like two or three years now. Um, but I want to listen to other voices too. Um, but this, uh, there's a, a book called nonviolent communication where you start, you start from a place of, uh, speaking about, you know, your needs not being met. And like, I don't, um, 
So like when you, when you yell at me, my need for safety isn't met because I feel, um, I feel, uh, like vulnerable and scared when so such loud noises are going on. Yeah. And uh, is there any way that you can change the volume, um, you know, to, to help meet that need? And, and is there anything I can do for you? Is there, you know, something like along those lines. Yeah. But there, there's gotta be other, other voices in that. Today, we are all focused on police brutality in a lot of ways and systemic racism. But systemic racism has such deep roots. And one of them is conflict resolution. The difference that we have there culturally causes a systemic issue that we don't even know. I didn't know that was an issue until just this conversation. And it, it, it almost makes it important for us to just be sharing our differences so that we can find all the uh, miscommunication points and start fixing those because I, I feel like some of us are operating as if we have no differences because we are all individuals, but there are a lot of disconnects from one culture to the other. And often I see it, black culture is the problem. That's kind of how I've seen it in the news and talk shows, music. Oh, sure. is the, the true issue is black culture. Uh, but yeah. But I, I feel like the lack of conflict resolution is a weakness that should be addressed in the white community. Yeah, I think so too, man. I really do. I mean, I think it's a core issue of this. So, um, I mean, it's, it is tell the teacher. It, yeah, it starts there. Yeah. Make sure you tell the teacher. Um, and, and that's the, the thing is, and this is where it gets tricky. Because we are not, we are, you know, you're black and I'm white. Also, it's more complex than that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like almost infinitely. So. And so there is this, you know, we were talking last week about um, Me Too and stuff like that. And um, there is a need to tell. And that's that's the part um, that I wonder. And I wonder if you could speak to this, uh, the sort of stitch, uh, snitches get stitches um, kind of thing, because I know that's been brought up like, see, well, black people don't talk about their own stuff. Snitches get stitches. I've seen that like in really vitriol, like, you know, hateful kind of yeah. posts and stuff. Um, and I don't know, speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing we have to realize is the majority of human beings are not criminals. And that goes for black people, too. So yeah. snitches get stitches is a very small population of people. And it's, that is not a black saying. That is a criminal saying. And that is the same in the police department, as we have seen with how hard it is for a police officer to come out and speak on yep. conduct. So so that I, first thing I have to say is that is not a black thing at all. Um, that is just the act of a few minor groups of criminals in there. You know, the gambit is white, black, Asian, everything. But mm -hmm. when black people don't speak up, it is not from a protecting a snitch. It is from self-preservation because our voices aren't ever really heard in the first place. And we are typically then called a problem at the workplace or wherever it is. So we are then told or we teach each other a hey, don't say nothing. Just pray about it. Just pray because that's all we can do. right? Now. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I hear that. And 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 um, I mean, that's I. You know, and this is the these two movements, the the Black Lives Matter movement and the Me Too movement, were both started by Black women. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's uh, that's that's where I get. Um, I'm trying to figure out, you know, the um, the conflict resolution stuff where you don't want to go to authority every time. At the same time, you want to speak like you want to make a you want to speak out and speak up for yourself and for the people that are that are hurt around you or in and without within and without your communities, you know? Yes. And so it's a weird thing to like, because, um, uh, and this is a, this is also tricky too, because, um, when, uh, Joy, Joy DeGruy, Dr. Joy DeGruy talks about this, uh, in her talks, you know, uh, about authority. Mm -hmm. Um, when women wanted to vote, uh, they had to appeal to the authority that was preventing them from voting. Oh, yes. I think I just read this. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> so the idea that we're, you know, people are on the streets 
appealing to an authority that has made the decisions that have put them on the streets. Yeah. You know, um, to protest. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a weird thing because there's gotta be, and this is so weird to say, I'll just say, I mean, white men have to give, give up the power that they have at the levels they have it in order for other people to have it. And that's uncomfortable, but that's the truth. And, um, yeah, I, self-preservation would, would, would fight that every day, you know? Um, Oh yeah. I mean, it's short-sighted. I mean, I think it's short-sighted self-preservation. Yeah. Um, because long-term, uh, I think, uh, complete integration of societies and where the it's sort of the Afrocentric view of like welcoming other people in the tribe, into the, into the place and learning from each other, you know, Yeah. Uh, that, that works better long-term, um, for, for anybody's individual, like tribal survival. Right. Um, uh, because you can start tracing where things, you know, th- th- your roots through that stuff. Um, but, but the idea that, and this is, and this is where it gets tricky too, because we talked about this like power dynamic last week. Like, um, I mean, I've, I've been trying to figure out how to speak about this stuff. So black people were not slaves. Black people were enslaved. Mm-hmm. Black people were free men, always were free, free people, always free people that were enslaved and kidnapped and, and, and victimized and dehumanized that that's it's it versus, Oh, there were, they were slaves that were, they were slaves. There's a dip. There's a big difference between those two statements. Right. Huge. And I mean, you know, like Dick Gregory will talk about, you know, don't, don't say hope. Like I was watching the thing. He's like, don't talk about, he's getting mad about somebody saying hope. He's like, just go do what you want to do. Go do your thing. And so as a, as a, as a black man, is it, I don't even know how to talk about this. You can do, you can, uh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> no. Yeah. So as a human, you can strive for a goal, uh-huh. right? You can attain you know, black people and white people have been successful in the country. Correct. How do you, do you feel like, uh, I guess, how do you feel about the men in power? What do you feel like their responsibility is to you? And you're de- are you dependent upon them in some way? And by dependent, I guess I mean dependent on equality, dependent on equity, dependent on them for justice. See, and that's the I think it's a what is the word for it's situational, right? In my everyday, mm. I totally believe that every I have full control on, on everything that happens to me, and all my successes or failures are lay on my shoulders. Um, but at the chance, at the moment, right? Everyone's lives. There's a moment where you do have to rely on someone else in that moment. And in that moment is where I have the most doubt. So it's not that I don't believe that I can go out and achieve everything. And I am uh, asking for someone else to uh, give me the handout or I need I de- I'm dependent on them. But it is it is, uh, in fact, unfactual to say that you do everything on your own. Like you do come to people who are um, the gatekeepers. And once you meet one of those people, it is up to them to either give you the promotion or um, you know, have you pass whatever test it is, if it's some kind of storytelling thing or whatnot. But those are the times where my education on reality, on being black in America tells me this is where you're about to be stopped. And and I I do hear people talk about how being black in America is somewhat of a mental illness because um you get conditioned to to see the world a certain way and believe certain things. And and I believe that that is true. Um, that when I reach a roadblock, I'm aware that my race is, will probably play into some of this. And maybe that is wrong. Maybe that is completely BS and, and I'm limiting myself in that way. But being a buddy of mine, we're just talking about how your, your belief system in yourself controls a lot of who you are and become. And, um, we, so this is from a football standpoint. We're both football players from Texas. You know, that's what you do typically if you're a guy in high school. And uh, especially if you're black, the numbers are overwhelming. And so yeah. so we're football players. But our school is one of the worst schools ever for football uh, at this time. Because And my buddy goes to, if you're from Texas, you might have heard of South Lake Carroll. They long stance of winning football. My buddy goes to a South Lake Carroll football camp. And he comes back one of the best players I have ever seen. 
but it oh, only wow. lasts for a few weeks. And then he starts to not believe in himself again. And oh, wow. it was solely a result of the coaches around us that the coach of South Lake Hero, Riley Dodge, infused a sense of belief into his players that they could achieve and do anything. Whereas our coaches let us know how bad we were on a daily basis. And that simple dichotomy is kind of the difference of the tell of two worlds is white people, I feel like, live in a world of being coached by uh, Riley Dodge and you can go out and be anything and do anything. And black people are at Richardson High School being condemned for losing every moment of their lives. And uh, and so some of it is the gatekeepers, but a lot of it is, you know, the mental cognitive um teachings we get as as black people in america so it sounds like it's pretty it's a pretty complex system so like your your internal thought life or whatever you want to i don't like that word (laughs) but you know but i guess that's okay you know like how you view yourself uh those kind of things matters those that are in some authority over you locally that matters the messages that you're receiving whether they're implicit or explicit Mm mm-hmm uh, and then those larger power structures also, you know, because, um, you know, it doesn't matter how much you achieve if you get pulled over and get shot and murdered by a police officer. Like, you know what I mean? So there's, right? Yeah. I mean, there's everybody, every, like, we each have responsibility at the levels that we're at. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. one, but there is a um, a sense of all that can be taken away at any moment. And I don't know how many people think about the that but i think black people are aware this could be gone tomorrow <laughs> and that's also uncomfortable yeah i think um yeah that's a that's really that's really interesting to have that to have that um we don't know if this is going to last tomorrow yeah this is going to be here tomorrow yeah because i don't think for the most part white people um that i know in my experience um really really have that the only the only time that's ever been the, that that's ever been the case and again this is tricky um but the only time it's ever been the case is is um folks that are like lower lower income folks mm-hmm. uh that i grew up with and and you know my wife and i have been in that you know making twenty five thousand dollars a year and having two kids situation so it's not um you know we've been we've been in those communities and, and stuff like that too and i hear the same thing and i and i think that they're it's not that Again, and I, I say tricky because I don't want it to equate poor people with black people because th- that is a false, but that false is, equivalency. Yeah, that that's the that is the socialization. How about that? It's socialization, absolutely. And, and uh, what what I what I think is where there's parallels are a black person, regardless of class, is in danger by our current policing system. Mm-hmm. Poor, poor people of any race are in danger of food scarcity, being homeless, the same kind of losing their life in some way. Crime is higher and low. So, so the the not that black people are poor. That equation is you know one is not equal to the other. It's that um, poor people understand are 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 also in a safety situation, right? Like a um, this may be gone tomorrow. Yeah. So and I'm I spend this hundred dollars. And I talk to I talk to people who, um, when I'm speaking about blackness, they're saying I think you're conflating class and race. And what they're missing is how our black the black race is is spoken of from a class issue. And yeah. so, and 100%. and then you, you do see it, like you said, this hundred dollars. You know, it could be it could all be gone tomorrow. So. Um, if, if I'm looking at the uh, least financially, fiscally responsible groups of people, you know, they they blow money from the sense of I have to live in this moment right now anyways, because it could all be gone tomorrow. You know, that's maybe I'm making an excuse for those people. But I, but I do believe that that is a, also a mental uh, thought process as well. So the class and race distinction, uh, if you're not really looking at it with a magnifying glass, you don't notice it. But the richest black person is often treated as if they are poor. And uh, I was watching Oprah. She was talking about this. Have you seen Pretty Woman? Or is that Pretty Woman? Yeah, with uh, Robert, with- uh, Julia Roberts? Yeah, Julia Roberts, where she goes in to the store and they tell her that she can't afford anything. She comes back looking fabulous and disses them or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oprah has the exact same experience, except for she doesn't go back to diss them. She's just Oprah. But when someone doesn't know who she is, she is first black. And so Oprah, Oprah, who's the richest woman that, like ever, right? In so many ways, she walks into places and they still tell her she can't afford things. It's right. And that's a global issue. So it's not just America. And I don't want to just beat up on America, but that's my home. So that's why I try and change America. But, uh, but well, yeah. And this, is, and, and this is where, again, it gets tricky because I think that uh, this is, this is, I'm going to try to form this. So black does not equal poor. Um, that's established, mm-hmm. right? Uh, poor people, though, uh, as well, have uh, survival. Uh, this uh, a black person can be can be murdered by a police officer at any time, mm-hmm. whether they're in their home. We've seen it here in this in my city. Uh, you know, a cop just walked into a home and shot a shot a lady in her home playing video games with her with her with her uh, nephew. Yeah, no reason. There's no nothing. No guns. No violence. No nothing. Um, it doesn't, yeah. So that, that threat is real and it's constantly there. And so because of that and similar issues, that's not, that's just one issue, right. From what we're talking to, we're talking about what folks that are, that are at economic disadvantage, folks that are, folks that are poor, um, have the same, uh, have this, uh, similar issues in that, like, I don't know where my meal's coming tomorrow. I don't know if I can pay rent. I'm going to be on the street. I don't know if I'm going to be robbed by my neighbor because they stole my, you know, whatever, right. stole my stuff last week. My, I don't feel safe in my environment. So, the, so there's a, it's not necessarily the same, um, but it's that sort of like, it can be gone tomorrow um, issue that they're both dealing with. Yeah. Um, and so my, what I want people that are in that economic distress, which in this country are mostly white people. Mm-hmm they benefit from the social change that black people right now are talking about. Yeah. Right. They benefit like equal treatment for black people means better lives for white. (laughs) Yeah. For everybody, really. Everybody, Everybody, really. Yeah. Right. Everybody really. Uh, But police not has not, not murdering black people means that they're murdering white people less too. Uh, social programs that help everybody um, help, you know, like, so it's, it's, it is not uh, the the fight that's happening right now is is the fight um, that we can come together on. I guess is what I'm trying to say is that is that the high tide raises all boats. Uh, that's a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> hey, however. It just... <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like it benefits because you know we talked about welfare, like welfare last week, like some sort of I mean I don't know, but some sort of basic income or something that happens that's going to help. Everybody, the people that are the people that are voting for the for for um, politicians that work against their interests that take away programs that help them. Yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, a more equitable society benefits not only black people. Like it's it is the, this is their fight, and they in in black people need need equity. We need justice for those folks. The, the hard part is, and, and yeah. politics play into this, and, and uh, I saw a post that you posted on Facebook where it talked about uh, equality, equity, and justice. And mm-hmm. uh, I had never seen the justice piece before, but it is something I wholeheartedly believe in. And so for those of you, it, the, the post is one I think you've probably seen online before. There's the three people trying to look at a baseball game over the fence, and they're different heights, probably different ages, obviously. But um, you know, either everyone can get an equal box, and that means that some people still can't see the game. Um, some people, will, we can get uh, equity, which means that the based on the height you are, you get a certain size box so that everyone can equally see the game. Um, now, what's frustrating about that is that means that the shortest people get the most financial support or aid or whatever you want to call it, which frustrates people because that's not... Um, that's not equality. And from a historical standpoint, black people have always asked for reparations, which would be those boxes to help them see over the fence. But because not everyone gets a box, that's always been shot down. So then you have justice, which is the best one is you just remove the fence and everyone can watch the game. <laughs> it's like, man, why can't we figure out a way to just remove the the white supremacy issues of our country 
And then there's no need for Black History Month. There's no need for affirmative action. We just allow everyone to to com- compete. But Be- because white people can because white people can see the game. Oh, because they are. Like, what do you What are you talking about? I can see everything here. I don't. I'm sorry, you can't see it, but I can see it just fine. Where's your box? Get a bigger box. Yeah, you're. And that's the. <laughs> yeah, you're responsible. And in in on one level, they're they're not wrong, right? Because as a human, I'm responsible for my life. But you talked about reparations before. The South got white slave owners got reparations twice. Yeah, I mean banks get reparations every every downfall. <laughs> the last ten years, twice. Yeah, and and I, you know, yeah. I mean, we talk about. You talk about I can see the game and I'm and I and I have all the boxes. <laughs> what are you doing? Where, where's your box? I got tons of them. I don't know why you don't have any. Yeah, we're we are going back to empathy. We are not empathizing. We are not empathizing, and we and and we need to do it. We need to be. We need to. White people need to listen to black people and empathize with what they're saying. Right. So, do you think that's a culture? Like, I'm thinking back towards. You know, if, if we go back before the Americas and, and we're looking at the different continents and you look at Africa and it seems like their number one strength is empathy in a lot of those tribes uh, and countries. And and so I'm just curious, where do, does America have any signs of cultural empathy? Like, is, or is it? I think, I think it's happening. Okay. I, I really think it is. And I think it's happening and getting, it's in fits and starts. Um, and uh, you know, I, I can see it like the, yeah, it's, it's tricky because, um, you know, the lady, oh gosh, Amy, uh, what's her name that called, called the police in central park Cooper. Yeah. Cooper. She f- considers herself a very empathetic person, mm. right? I'm very empathetic, but at the same time, there is this, uh, thread and all of that, that, that allows you to still you know, still benefit from that, from the, the systems that are, that are um, oppressive and dehumanizing, weaponizing racism, those kind of things. So I think people are like, I am interested to see, I think we're, we're, I think right now we're at a time, like it's a, it's a tipping point and it can go either way. We can either um, uh, become a more empathetic nation. And I think, I mean, I don't know about you, Chris, but in my circles, a lot of people are like, okay, I see it. I hear it. What am, what do I need to do? And then, you know, a lot of us get told what to do and we do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, um, so we're heading there. I think yeah. I think it's happening, uh, more, more and more, but there is a danger to, and I think this is what happened in the nineties is, um, we had, um, black culture was all over the television. Yeah. And I don't know how this started, but you know, like all my heroes were black growing up, like every one of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, uh, Stevie wonder, Bo Jackson, right. Richard Pryor. I mean, like <laughs> those are my heroes. Um, and, but I think what happened when, when white people saw there were so many black people on just all over the media, which is a part of our culture, American culture, mm-hmm. they were like, Oh, okay, we're good. We finally made it. And then when Obama was elected, oh, see, we've got a black president. We finally were post-racial. Right. We're we're past it. And I don't have to see color anymore. And I heard it exclusively from white people. Yeah. And not from black folks that were that were talking about because I don't think I've ever heard any civil rights leader, uh, you know, you know, black author, uh, you know, television personality say, Oh, I don't you know, color's no big deal. It's no big deal that I'm black. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's just, oh man. <laughs> and I mean, I, am I wrong? I mean, yeah, I, I was, I, this was, I guess, yeah. When was this? The 2011? No, no later than that. The thir- 2013, 14 time period. You know, I had a friend of mine. She was a coworker of mine. She wasn't white. She was Hispanic, but, but you know, she, I mean, she could pass. And uh, yeah, she just kept telling me every day she doesn't see color. And I tried to help her realize how dumb that was from my perspective, because, because it, it's not pop, it's just not possible in America and um, how beautiful the idea is. Um, what would be really cool is, is to see the beauty in, in each one of us. But, yep. but, but yeah, I remember that movement 
it drove me crazy because there's no way that my color doesn't impact my life. I, I I see it. It happens to me all the time. And um, yeah, so that's just funny. You're, you're so right that that was exclusively um, white America for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never. Yeah. I just to to for a white person to say it doesn't matter. You're black. Doesn't matter that I'm white. I've never heard a black person say it doesn't matter that I'm black. It doesn't matter that you're white. It absolutely matters. Yeah. And, and it's sad that it matters and I don't like it that it matters and I, I wish it didn't matter, but it does. And I think that more white people are, are now taking on that with you. It matters that I'm white. It matters that you're black. I wish it didn't, but it does. So let's fix it. So yeah. Or, or at least, you know, I don't know if we can fix it, but we're going to try. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So I think that's, that's part of whatever's happening right now too. And, and I, I, I think a hundred percent it would it took COVID to make us have less to talk about because come on. I, <laughs> it's not like black boys yeah. haven't been trying this for years. <laughs> um, yeah. But we just have less to talk about now. And so it's like, okay, well, I guess now that this is in my face, I have to deal with it. And I'm just so thankful for that because because this is unprecedented from from a black perspective and it just it's just so needed. It's just so needed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Cause you're right. I mean, you know, you go back to 1903, um, W D B W W E B. You got it. I have a problem. Yeah. W B Du Bois, uh, <laughs> you know, started in 1903 and then, you know, moving through the, the civil rights movement in the fifties and sixties and into the seventies and eighties, uh, and then and now it, it's the same message. It's the exact same message. Yeah. And to see a hundred years of people saying the same thing and other, you know, white folks saying, no, but it's different. It's different now. Um, is, is kind of, is kind of heartbreaking. Um, at the same time, um, I think you're right. I think people are listening more. I think people are, and, 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 you know, early voting started here. So that's a start. I, I'm I'm thankful for Trump in a way because because mm. no other politician um, gave the alt right so much empowerment um, because racism will always exist right there will always be the the, the small enclave but yeah yeah but but Trump's non willing his non willingness to uh, defame them and and not attack them. It gives them so much pride that that they're they're out in numbers now that people can at least believe black people saying, look, no, no, they're they're really here um, and they're the president is OK with it, which is which says a lot. So, um, yeah, I'm you know, politics is a totally different issue, in my opinion, because, you know, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they have traditionally been ran by white people just because historically how our country has gone. And so, um, and so again, allies can be imperfect. Right. And, and, right. and not necessarily, not necessarily have, uh, the black community's best interest in mind. Um, but, Oh yeah. I mean, that's all over the, if you, if you watch any of the old like debates or talks in the sixties, uh, even, you know, um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from, uh, prison, he was like, what's, what's letting me down the most are progressives, mm. are white progressives. Yeah. They're saying just, you know, and James Baldwin talked about just wait, you know, they said, you know, just wait, we're getting, we're, pro we're progressing. And he's like, what's progress? Let's just fix it. Let's be over with it. You know, let's be done with it. You know, they passed a bill in the house in what, three or four days to end chokeholds, right? Yeah. They That's a, I mean, they could do it. They could do it. They could do it tomorrow. If everybody got together, enough people were like, we're done. We're done with this, the, these, you know, these racist policies that, that create inequality and are substantiated by racist ideas. They can be done with it. And so I don't know that that whole Democrat Republican thing is it, it's it, just, it burns me up too because Republicans dismiss me because they think I have a political agenda. Right. <laughs> Which is Trump's marketing plan, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I do not. Um, I I. I will vote Democratic because um, I would. Mm, mm, I think Cam, uh, Camilla Harris, Cory Booker, people like that have the ear of Joe Biden. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. People that uh, uh, 
people that I think are that are important to the future of this country have the ear of Joe Biden, so that so that Joe will go along. <laughs> yeah, uh, I you know I think Trump does. Nobody, people that have his ear are uh, don't have the same um, social go- goals <laughs> because because of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. You know, they're just whether complicit or explicit, they they are just there. No, we're. But I mean, to, for the president to say that black people have benefited somehow from the last four months because of some sort of economic push, I don't even know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, I, I and I hate the, I, I hate how the right doesn't see Trump's marketing plan because they they hit all of us with you have an agenda. You are brainwashed by the left. That's what you're doing. And it's like, no, this is human. This is. This is for people. I'm not even I, I haven't said who to vote for. I haven't posted anything about Biden. Um, right. And and it's solely because to me, that is not the solution. But I like what you just said about who has influence on the president, because that is right now, especially with the two candidates we have. That's maybe the best options to be looking towards is. All right. Well, who could really influence these people? Um, and I, I I look at a lot of Trump stuff and. And so I'm aware that Trump does have black people in his corner that that can reach him and speak to him. But I I can't say that he's not also listening to the alt right at the same time. And so so that that is problematic for me. But but I just wish people who were Republicans did not hear me saying I'm trying to help the lives of black people and go, you are a liberal snowflake. It's like what this is not politics at all. Yeah, crazy. yeah, and and to to and that's the um, that's the thing is that um, the the progressive side doesn't have a lock on this either. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's what's that's what's so difficult is is that it is not a two sided issue. This is a human issue, and you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a human rights human issue. There's no there's no Democrat. There's no red red or blue. There's you know and and um, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate cops kneeling with protesters. I, I appreciate the Congress, Congress, uh, kneeling and having a moment of silence. That's fantastic. You know, I appreciate murals all over the cities. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Also that those are great things. And I think that there is a danger with progressives that it's enough because Nan- like Nancy Pelosi has been in office for a long time and has not made any changes right. that need to be made. This is not, this is not, you know, um, so, you know what I'm saying? Like, so there's not, and it's hard, it's hard because, well, the Democrats have been the most supportive of this. So how do I criticize them? Yeah. Um, um, I don't want to criticize anybody, but, yeah. I, but we need to like, be like, Hey, look, Republicans, if you had a way to solve this, the, put it on the, put it on the goddamn table. Republicans don't even speak on it. And it all like, and, and I've seen this many times, black culture if you're if we're making broad strokes of people and what they believe majority of black culture believes in republican ideals yeah and that's just who it's just part of our culture but the problem is the republican party has never and will never reach out and speak out against white supremacy or the destruction of black people and and it has to do with its roots and um I I was having this argument with a friend of mine who is a Republican, but he's a Republican because he's he doesn't want to be brainwashed by the media is his argument. And so what he told me, like I, he posted this video on how the Democratic Party was the original slaveholding party and how the Republican Party freed the slaves with Abe Lincoln and all of that. And I messaged him and said, do you at least know that the parties have switched their uh, political agendas. And he said, that is a myth created by the left. Oh, wow. I was so off guard by that. He says it's not real and that the Republican Party has always been the party of Abe Lincoln. And mm-hmm. it's just, that's that's where we are now is the, the historical truths don't matter. People don't understand uh, how the parties have switched. People are just you know, drawing lines in the sand and, and it's, it's just kind of scary from that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And it's scary that it shuts it down. And that's what's so, fr- that's another frustration is, is it shuts it down. Well, you need Jesus and you need to, you know, you, you need to vote for Trump. And I'm like, I, 
<laughs> I'm not even talking about either one of those. Exactly. <laughs> like it's not eh, so, but I think you're right, man. You know, uh, coming at them and people that are like pushing against with empathy versus correction. Um, because I think that there, there leaves a place for, uh, we've got to find a way to dialogue. We just have to, it's, it's imperative. It's absolutely imperative. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, well, yeah, I, I guess just wrap, wrap this thing up. I think the, the cool things we discussed today was just kind of trying to focus on our country of being strong and being vulnerable at the same time and having vulnerable conversations, showing strength in that. But also, like you just said, is uh, being empathetic with others. And then if, if you're looking for action items, I feel like people can look towards conflict resolution, researching that, trying to figure out how to be stronger with conflict resolution because that is a hidden problem in, in this race relations. And if we can all strengthen our conflict resolutions, maybe we can um, be better friends to each other, or be better neighbors, better fellow citizens, and extend olive branches uh, instead of just being dependent on authority figures at all times. And Absolutely, man. lastly, it's just uh, class versus race. I, I, I think it's really unique that the Black community always is treated as if they are all from a certain class. And if you can make a connection in your head of, wow, I do kind of think that sometimes unless they are an athlete or unless they are uh, a movie star or a TV personality, that is kind of my first thought. And that's a great place to start with your own personal viewpoints on, on race and culture in our country. Absolutely, man. Well, Chris, thank you as always. I appreciate you. It's good. <laughs> Sit with me and talk with me. It's good, man. It's real good. I enjoy it. And I, I think we're both imperfect, but we're trying. That's the most important thing. Yeah. All right, man. Take care. You too.